Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... We have all newly released Wendell and Wild by Henry Selleck, The Wander, directed by Sebastian Lelio, The Banshees of Inishirin by Martin McDonough, She Said by Maria Schrader, and finally, The Menu, directed by Mark Millad. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Thomas, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. You had a movie theater filled week. Oh yeah, it, this was putting in time. This is uh, all. I think first time on the podcast, all five new releases. It might, yeah, because I think we've done four. Yeah, once or yeah. twice. Uh, but all five, and granted, you know, some help from Netflix. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, happy to do it. We'll call it a, uh, you know, how about them apples? <laughs> well, that, that is all five uh, when it hits the, when it's uh, all five new releases in the slot. So. Yeah, very exciting. And we have a different array of stuff too here. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of Oscar buzz uh, among some of these um, some of these performances. Uh, really excited for a lot of the talent around this, and uh, overall, it was a it was a good week. Oh, good. So. Okay, okay. So let's start this right away. They're all new releases, but we're gonna do. Let's start. We'll do the Netflix releases yeah. first. Then we'll go into our donation, our producer segment. I like that. Um, and then end with the actual in theater ones. Okay, so this is gonna an animated film here. This is Wendell and Wild. And if you could kind of set up a little bit, uh, what studio we're working with here? Sure. And uh, again, well, it's a Netflix release. Yeah, yeah. I, a little late to get to this one. Kind of missed the boat uh, for for the spooky focused month. But uh, Henry Selick is back directing after an incredibly long time. I mean, thirteen years. Yeah. Uh, Coraline was his last thing, and obviously, uh, he was uh, working with many different studios in kind of more of a production capacity or, or producer rather capacity but if you don't know the name he is an absolute legend in stop-motion animation uh of course doing nightmare before christmas james and the giant peace uh peach <laughs> james and the giant peace <laughs> sequel coming up uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's a war film uh <laughs> and Coraline, uh which is uh very much revered uh but 2009 is the last thing he did that he's directing and that he's animating. Was the reasoning behind that? Do you know of uh, watched he, interviews or anything like that? He or? was interacting with a um, the same studio that did Kubo and the Two Strings, Leica. Leica? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And yeah, I mean, he stepped away from Leica. I don't know, maybe the gap between fifteen and now. Uh, but yeah, he's 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 back in the saddle. So I was a little bit. Uh, it, it was a bit odd to see his re- return as a Halloween themed Netflix movie. Obviously, Halloween is his you know or spooky things. That's his, his deal. comfort yeah. zone. Yeah, I, I thought this was decent. Uh, definitely not great. Uh, I thought it was decent. The story follows a punk rock thirteen year old girl cat. Uh, who becomes entangled with two demons, Wendell and Wild. She brings them to our world, uh, and bringing them to the world, our world through through a ritual is a chance for her to see her dead parents. And as 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 kind of plays out, uh, the demons have their own scheme. They have their own plans. Key and Peel voice the demons here. Yeah, that's uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, and they and they do a great job. Um, the demons they they have their own kind of scheme to open up a uh, a fair. Uh, there's a weird <laughs> there's a weird um, like purgatory or hell is portrayed as a scream fair. Uh, they want to <laughs> open up their own. Uh, so yeah, uh, it, it's cute. It's cute. Let's let's start with somewhere, and that's the stop motion. That's really why I was interested in this film. Yeah, not no. necessarily for the for the. Sub- Subject. Uh, Selleck's style for lighting and larger than life set pieces is really on full display here. Pretty much any time we're in hell, it looks like the best 
of what we see in Oogie Boogie scenes from Nightmare Before Christmas. That means very dramatic lighting, sometimes um, almost kind of tricks with black light, uh, where yeah. colors are highlighted and, and ultra-vibrant in spaces. And again, it's just it's it's kind of marvelous to see the scale that he's built up to uh, creating big, big set pieces within the stop motion. Uh, and definitely, the, you know, that's kind of where the bar is now with modern stop motion. It's creating as kind of complex scenarios as possible. Right, right. Kind of a one-upmanship or an arms race to who has the, the craziest, most complex stop motion, you know, most demanding stop motion. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, this on here is is great. Uh, the big picture is, is just awesome. You know, scenes, believe it or not, have great camera work. It's fantastic. There's kind of a layered effect. You actually see this in mundane scenes as well. Cat's uh, room that she goes into has just a very simple, like, four layers to it that gives this kind of depth of field that you kind of see through the open door to her room. Just very interesting because you have little moving parts, like yeah. the radiator in the corner is constantly jittering and whatnot. And, and again, the appreciation for stop motion is that you have to understand every single frame, something is moving to create movement, yeah. you know, in the end result of it. Um, and was there anything different here that you've seen before? I, I can't say so. And, and believe me, I'm a big appreciator of stop motion. Well, and uh, him especially, you know, mm-hmm. coming off of Coraline. Coraline was the one he did before this? Uh, yeah, 2009, you know, uh, way back. But yeah. So was it perfecting that? Or was it just, okay, here's another, here's just another good yeah. stop motion animated film? I think it was just another one. A lot of emphasis is put on Key and Peele. Uh, as well, of course, uh, yep. being kind of celebrity talent here. Uh, I, one note, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not behind. I'm certainly not putting the tireless hours that it takes to stop motion yeah. uh, animate, but uh, uh, the the mouth movements were a little bit lower frame rate. Uh, they weren't as detailed, and okay. I feel like that's a step backwards, actually. Okay, especially, I mean, Selick is the one that brought singing to stop motion so he knows what it takes yeah. to show kind of enunciation and and, and lips lip movements even in these models so that was a little bit of a step backwards for me um but not not terrible okay like All i right. said this was solid not not great though. And i guess for netflix too mm-hmm. you know i get that's pretty good yeah because I think like so. Nightmare for Before Christmas is just like i mean the production and the years behind it yeah you know i guess disney you, money yeah for yeah sure uh, that's good bridge to performances, though. Uh, like I said, Key and Peele are, are good. I wouldn't say they're like super, super funny. I was kind of expecting them to be funnier. Uh, and also seeing Jordan Peele go back to the duo uh, after being a director now for so long. He did uh, work on the screenplay, the screenplay as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. They they play together in, in demons, uh, as demons, you know. yeah. I, I think the stop motion figures look exactly like them. They have kind <laughs> of an energy that reminded me of uh, the imps in Hercules. Uh, oh. Oh, back, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's kind of a you know uh, <laughs> a mischievousness, a playfulness there. Story wise, I think my problem with it is that it's just too much of a d- divide between our two fun demons mm-hmm. that every scene works, and our main girl cat, who's having this kind of very serious, very dramatic grieving of her parents and kind of finding her way in a coming of age. I think my problem isn't with the two tones being juggled. It's more so we spend far too much time with them apart, and the film just kind of feels disjointed, especially when we're looking forward to Key and Peele as the as the strong suit on screen. So, how much? What's the ratio of time spent? Because Lyric Ross technically is kind of the lead because she plays Cat. Yes, yes, I, I think she is the lead for sure. Okay, um, it's just it's just also a lot of yeah, Keelan Peele because because they're the whole they're doing the thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and it's funny, and that's uh, that's you know both sides are enjoyable, but I think uh, it was just a bit too disconnected. I think even for a kid, like you know, let's think about the demographic mm-hmm. here: tweens, you know, young adult kid. I still think. It just, I don't know. It, by the time things come together, it's just still too disjointed. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it has good electricity as far as the script goes. Half the moral message, uh, and then the other half is demons having fun trying to open up a fair, and they kind of don't work together. <laughs> it's it's all good, but, uh, but not great for that reason, for lack of gelling. So... Uh, and like I said, I thought it was decent. Some uh, some closing notes is um, has a really fun punk rock soundtrack uh, with some deep cuts. Okay, that's cool. Um, Does uh, it help it flow pretty well? I, I think so. There's there's some fun scenes with it. Uh, also, just deep cuts into hardcore punk rock uh, band Death. 
uh, is is referenced in here, which I was really excited to see. Selick also uh, wonderfully keeps up with in line of s- skeletons being in stop motion. Feels very reminiscent of Nightmare Before Christmas yeah, and it's the like and his favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> and when you look at the guy, it's like. You know, he's not emo. He's not, like, goth no. or anything. <laughs> he does look a little creepy, though, yeah, as, yeah. his older age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, like I said, uh, the story is very tween. I'll it, say this. It's rated PG-13. Okay. Which is hmm. surprising. And what do you think about that? Because, I don't know. <sighs> I'm trying to think where they where they slap that on this film, actually. I mean, it's on Netflix, so no one even cares. <laughs> right, exactly. But that's kind of weird to have a film like this and have it be rated PG-13. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, if you Maybe really want to talk to death. Dem- Perhaps uh, not the band, but you know the, the, the concept. But yeah, uh, it is. Um, I, I think the the story is there to be kind of feel good when it finally comes together by the end. Uh, and I think in that kind of summarizes my feeling on it that it's just a good Netflix watch. Maybe next Halloween, nothing to really race to. Yeah. Uh, and that's even with me having such an incredible appreciation for the art that goes into it. Well, maybe it. it really just comes down to if you're going ahead and, and watching Coraline and mm-hmm. Nightmare. Sure. You know? Yeah. Throw this in the mix. Absolutely. I mean, not maybe it doesn't deserve... It's probably number three if you were to tier them. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah. that, could, that could be a watch within that realm and, and yeah. everything like that. Just an overall good October watch. I think if so. If that's your deal. I think so. And, and, and you know, again, those few last notes with... Uh, with the punk rock aesthetic to it, Keon Peel, you know, what I mean, yeah. there, there, there are other things for to bring in audiences that wouldn't even bother paying attention to, like an animated film like okay. this. Okay. So, with that said, we are going to go ahead and give Wendell and Wild a sixty-three. Ooh, sixty-three. Okay, yeah, yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah. not bad. I mean, that's a, that's an all right, that's a <laughs> yeah. right movie. Uh, and then PG-13 for thematic material, violence, substance abuse, and brief strong language. Oh, there is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wendell and Wild as the demons, they get, they get like, high. They, 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 like, they, like, trip on, like, this... Um this this hair recovery for their for their <laughs> demon father yeah so that that has to be it actually well, it's still a little strange because your lead is 13 years old and then you're you technically you know you're not supposed to have 13 year you know it's just the watching age starts at 13 uh, and you your point why is that yeah, even matter on netflix it doesn't you know and, I mean? and netflix it doesn't matter i think the only divide should be g and above honestly for yeah. you know a kid's profile or Wendell whatever and wild straight to blonde <laughs> so true so true Some, someone's gonna stumble on it in that exact order too um okay so that's wendell and wild with a 63 percent uh we'll move on to the next netflix release here this is this is called the wonder mm-hmm. directed by sebastian uh, lilio and what do we get with this film here? Uh, yeah, so back again with Florence Pugh uh, after the very mixed Don't Worry Darling. Yes. Um, but she yeah. was the best part of Don't Worry Darling. Oh, yes. And um, I have to say, Florence is an actress that I really find myself looking forward to, like an Adam Driver that um, I get excited when wow. I see you know, Every time things. she's in something, your praise is getting higher and higher yeah, with her. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I just find her, there's there's a certain electricness on screen, like an Adam Driver that I can't even explain. Even even both of those physically, you know, I mean, it's it's not like they're the, the best looking actors or no, actresses. they're very or, much not, yeah. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> she's all right. I mean, she's, I mean... You know, oh, absolutely. And but but it's it's just I I find myself very much looking forward to when they come around. Their so. acting is actually good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this film is is an oddball. We're gonna have some oddballs this week. <laughs> There's I feel like. Um, Art house, maybe a little bit of a description, especially when talking about some of the, uh, or actually the next film that we'll talk about with Banshees. Uh, but The Wonder is a film set in 1862 Ireland. The Wonder refers to a young girl seemingly that has no hunger and hasn't eaten for four months. I'll probably mention this a few times that the tone here is, or, or maybe even the theming is science versus religion or maybe science versus superstition a little bit okay uh, which is interesting uh pew plays a very tough english nurse that is contracted to observe the child not interact with the child but just kind of you know take notes in her approach she's very strict she's very scientific but she's confronted with 
different worldviews and and very deep religion that creates kind of the drama and conflict. I it, it's kind of hard to pin what the drama and conflict is in this film, and I think it's more so the pressure of Pew being an out or this character being mm-hmm. an outsider and confronted. I don't want to say with backwoods, uh, but uh, her science, her method is confronted with, you know, the the very rural environment that she's around, if that makes sense. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> no, it, ma- it makes sense. I'm, st- I'm interested. I'd s- I'm so confused with what the movie is. Uh, uh, and yeah, maybe for a good reason. Then. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, it's it's very slow, very E24. It, it really is about, I mean, the, the entire runtime is Pew spending time with this little girl hmm. that is not eating. Kind of going through <laughs> it. You know? it's, it's, yeah. The film also has kind of a slight meta quality to it with a narrator speaking directly to the audience occasionally. Um, definitely a little confusing at first. I really wasn't getting why that was the case but uh, it does at least on a surface level add to the mystery or the feeling of everything okay and this is a mystery it's kind of mystery drama because Pew's character is problem solving ultimately okay how, how is right, this right. how is this little girl not eating no less for four plus months and on top of that as well there is kind of a mystery to why we're observing these events uh, coming from the narration uh, interesting film though it was sloop super slow. This is uh, this could be what I always say. I've, I feel like I've been good without saying slow burn, but it is slow uh, yeah. burn, and it's really good because of the unfolding mystery. I, I really enjoyed the tone here. Performances were on point. You know, the, this kind of cold, windy setting creates a dark mood to the whole film. And uh, you know, with this being in Ireland, you know, echoes of famine of the potato hmm, okay. famine yeah. uh, definitely. Uh, brought up contextually in conversation, felt through characters as well. Uh, and it, it kind of just creates an interesting tone that Florence is a is an outsider coming to this land that it's not like that she actively disagrees with religion or she's putting people down, but it's just so contrary to her worldview and how she performs as a nurse. Uh, that's where the conflict is. Uh, so for an hour and 48 minutes, is it gripping enough? For you to be enjoying it, I think so. I, I liked it quite a bit. Okay. I think again, that's where I say slow burn, though, because some people are going to think this film is just way too slow. Okay. Way too slow. Okay. There's a, a slight disturbing tone as well uh, in seeing the families and locals through Pew's character's eyes. Um, she has such a you know polar opposite end of the spectrum that it's almost cast a little bit menacing. Uh, there's almost a kind of a, a foreboding tone of what's actually going to happen here. Uh, of her being involved uh, in this rural area. I would say my only other highlight here is cinematography, and it was great. Uh, A lot of great landscapes showing the vastness of the area. Uh, And again, kind of leaning into some of my notes for uh, Banshees of Inishirin, just the landscape of Ireland is just so, you know, uh, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, Cold. Windy. Yes, it it sets its uh, own mood big time. Yeah, it plays its own character kind of. Yeah, and oddly enough, a, a, a character in itself. Yeah, for for both of these films because they kind of take this you know this moody yeah, song yeah. tone to it. I would say uh, cinematography, it's specifically interior shots as well, that the lighting is very interesting in this film. Very realistic lighting, honestly. Uh, You know, Mm. there's not a light in the room that is not organically there through a candle or through, uh, you know, sunlight shining in. Uh, And most most shots are very dark for that reason. These kind of poorly lit old houses create an interesting, unique outline. There's a very good transition that uses shadows on a blanket to transition transition to into a mountain uh that's pretty cool and yeah yeah i I was i was really digging it so uh it it was good stuff other than that uh you know like i said i I think this will hit for a24 crowd um both for its slowness and the feel of the film kind of a foreboding twistedness uh and i think it was a solid release for netflix another feather in the cap of florence Pugh, uh, and i will be watching regardless we're gonna go ahead and give the wonder a 73 wow 73 is pretty good yeah yeah absolutely Interesting. I mean, yeah, this def- I don't know if this was really on anybody's radar. Yeah, it, very true. But, um, I mean, a 73 is a pretty, you know, most people should be checking this out. I think so. And I think Florence does a, a very good job here. I mean, I I, I don't want to say nod for, for best actress, but... Uh, she's good, though. Yeah, she's good. I, I really always enjoy her. 
Well, she's coming up in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Including one of them was Oppenheimer, Chris Nolan's new film. Oh, he, she's in that. Mm, she plays, I think, wow. the lead or something like that with yeah. Cillian Murphy. Wow, wow. So that's going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. So. But, all right. I mean, I love, like, name another young actress that we're, like, excited about and excited to see every time. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. There's, there's a few actors that we can say about that. But other than that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Vin. So um, that's The Wonder Folks with a 73%. And uh, I think I'm going to check it out because I would like to go through back Pew's kind of um, yeah. back catalog. Absolutely. And see what the big hype is about because you, you've been repping it pretty good for her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay, so we're going to go into our producer segment like we were talking about, folks, before we get into our now kind of in theaters films. And Vin, we do have a producer this week and we have Matt D once again coming oh, in. With a vengeance. With, and with his famous double uh, <laughs> double donation of $5 each. The one, two. <laughs> All right. So Matt, you wrote in and said, question for Tom. He said, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm interested in your thoughts on an actor who has quite the storied career. He's been nominated for the full EGOT. Oh. Which is what, by the way? I uh, the EGOT Emmys, uh, Grammys, Oscar, Tony. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. So... He's been nominated for the full EGOT, has more SAG wins than Tom Hanks, more BAFTA nominations than Daniel Craig, and more Golden Globe noms than John Wayne. The prolific and imitatable, no, inimitable, is that a word? I don't know. Shit, Matt's too smart. There's a word I can't even pronounce here. Anyway, the prolific, the the inimitable. The Inimitable? I don't know. I would have to see it. Anyway, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Did you know Mark Ruffalo had more sagwins than Tom Hanks? That's crazy. I just mean, that doesn't ha- make me happy. <laughs> As we've noted, Tom Hanks isn't the, like, the greatest, technically, but still. But, like, but still. Better than Ruffalo. Wow. More Golden Globes than John Wayne. I guess that's not too surprising. He's not the, he's not the most... Not the most credible. I, mean, I love John Wayne, but he's not the. Yeah, right, he doesn't have right. his award shelf. Isn't exactly how does that make full. you feel, Tom? I don't know. <laughs> Get it all out. My thoughts on that, Matt D. That's an embarrassment, <laughs> an embarrassment. for every institution that gave him those awards. I think that's what the- for the for the egot itself. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's read Matt's second thing. Uh, second note here. He said, "I appreciate the further discussion of the badge idea." Uh, okay, here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> I agree that too many would invalidate the discussion on the podcast, but I do see room for at least a handful. It could be sort of a unique part of the brand. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of what we were talking about. We I like- think that's good. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good. And, and honestly, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 rare that we come across the so bad it's good, uh, but it's definitely going to be, It's I'm going to come across it yeah. sooner or later. No, so. we definitely like it for that, for sure. And folks, yeah. We were kind of talking about, like, So Bad It's Good, have a special, kind of little special rating for that, or a mm-hmm. little badge, let people know. Mm-hmm. Bad score, but hey, you know. Yeah, designation. Just, yeah, watch yeah. this one. Uh, okay, all right. That's a happy medium, then, mm-hmm. we come to, kind of. I think so. I think so. Uh, Matt also says, keep up the great work. I was able to add one movie to the watch list and remove another after last week's episode. Wow, Which look is, at that. That's cool. That's a, actually a wonderful note to the note. Uh. <laughs> uh, however, he says, I can't leave without saying something about The Room. Oh, <laughs> See, the, it's the one-two punch, but yeah. it's also The Room. That's, <laughs> that's the Matt D. Tommy was so sure this was an Oscar, Oscar-winning film that he rented out a theater for two weeks in order to, su- in order to suffice the... The Academy eligibility mm. requirement of a oh interesting of a two week theater run oh so you need a two week mm. theater run yeah for it to be eligible I think they show a little bit of that in um, the Disaster Artist uh, which we covered on that episode right right mm-hmm. he actually thought it was going to be an Oscar win that he rented out a theater for two weeks <laughs> wow well Tommy was so is a he's he's a, he's an oddball he's a man of mystery certainly wow, that's unbelievable that's a yeah. great yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Matt. That, that, that's a fact. I had no idea. <laughs> I like that. And how about we, that? He's using the guide, added a movie, took off a movie I of, his, think that's of his own list. That's, that's mission accomplished right there. And we're slowly building our room uh, understanding. You know, we're going to have a whole... <laughs> We're going to have a whole Matt variety needs to, hour. Matt needs to start a podcast about the room itself. <laughs> yeah, just in the room. <laughs> the creation the execution of the room yeah. with Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> um, wow, okay. All right. That's interesting. 
Uh, Matt, we thank you for producing the episode. Oh, yes. This is episode 59, your executive producer, the only producer. And uh, overall, you just thank you so much for continuing to produce mm-hmm. the daily ratings. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you're listening to this, wondering what this is, uh, again, we're thanking, we're thanking Matt here for keeping the podcast going. This is going off the value for value model. Is the podcast valuable? Is the site valuable? Getting value out of it like Matt is, you know, with his own personal movie list that he has going on. Uh, the idea is you go to the donations tab at the dailyratings.com and through monetary support, whatever your value is, you can send our way. You can write in a note just like Matt did and we'll read it here at this section of the podcast, kind of the producer segment. And uh, it's, a, it's a way to speak that you can speak to us, we can speak to you, have mm. open dialogue here. And it's great to have this connection with you. And it, again, it helps us keep going because we want to stay away from corporate advertising. And this is just a different way of doing things. And we think podcasts are kind of going to start going this way. Mm-hmm. We don't like Patreon for certain reasons. And this is kind of just its own little, a different form of doing things on, sure. on a podcast. We're not flooding you with ads. We're not doing a tier structure because that's kind of silly. Uh, but basically, if you're getting value from it, just send some value our way. Absolutely. And, and so much importance on that dialogue. We have been absolutely adoring any kind of note sent in uh, because we get to talk to all of you. Uh, much appreciated, Matt. And, uh, of course, uh, thank you for the, the continued uh, producership. Yeah, we definitely thank you. He's going to send in more big words now on me. <laughs> he's he's going to hit you with the, the dictionary. Inimitable. <laughs> Inimitable. We got to Google this right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Matt, yeah, go ahead. I'm trying to think what would be related with Mark Ruffalo. The prolific and inimitable. He's using big words on me. He's going to use more now. He's just going to. He's going to be having a thesaurus next time he's writing out his two donation notes next week. (laughs) Matt D. Thanks, Matt D. We appreciate it. Again, your executive producer of episode fifty-nine. Absolutely. Okay, folks. So we're going to move on to our next three here. This is now playing the now in theaters film. So we'll start with the Banshees of Inishirin. Also, the Banshees of hard names to pronounce. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually really excited to hear about this one. Yeah, because the boys are back from from Inbrew. <laughs> yes, yes, you picked it up. Yeah, yeah, they teamed yep. up, and, and it's the same guy. It's the same director. Yeah, I, I was, was really was, good. Yeah. So this is Martin Mc, McDonough. Is yeah, Martin Martin McDonough, and he did Three Billboards. Yep. So for people know, we, we, In Bruges is great, mm-hmm. and kind of a low budget, but one of those films that always makes it. It's always on like top ten lists. Mm, yes, yes, definitely kinda, perfect dark comedy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then he takes long gaps, but. He when he does a movie, he's very involved in it. He mm-hmm. does the writing, he does the directing. You know when he picks, kind he kind of has his guys that he likes too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. His actors and everything like that. So he also did Seven Psychopaths, which is kind of you know, it's all right. Right, it's all right. Honestly, but, he's an outlier among his filmography. Now. But it is different. It is different. So mm-hmm. and then of course he the last thing he did was Three Billboards, correct? Yes, yes. Which is obviously huge. huge. Monumental movie. And it's uh, on the must-watches. Yeah, yeah, 88. Uh, I gave Three Billboards. Love that movie. So, I really do love yeah, that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And he's back again and again. This is the duo with Colin Farrell and what is his name? Uh, Gleason, uh, Brent, uh, Brendan Gleason. Yes, Brendan Gleason. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two guys that were in, in Bruges, which we actually obviously really like, kind of set up. What are we doing here in Ireland again? What's our, <laughs> <laughs> what's our main Free story? Irish special. I, honestly, it, this is a very small, small film. This not only takes place on the remote island of Inishirin, not only on top of that, it is it is about kind of mundanity, monotony. Uh, melancholy, a lot of M's. <laughs> when it comes to uh, this film, it, it is a dark comedy, and I want to put emphasis on 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 the dark side of that. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of watching this film, and you're you. If I would say the first thirty minutes, you're wondering where it's going at all. But I'm I'm here to say that even though it is a very awkwardly paced, certainly awkward in dialogue and 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 how lines are delivered, it is absolutely worth your time because mm. it. Um, after a while, the more time you spend with these characters, the more you get invested, and, and the plot really does go somewhere, but the initial pitch here is that <laughs> it's, like I said, a very rural Irish setting. Uh, there's little to do but leisure, uh, drinking at the pub, and aimless chatting. And <laughs> See, I, where I really like Martin McDonough, sure. though, is his writing. Yes. I love his writing, and now his, his dialogue in In Bruges was fantastic. Yep, absolutely. Now, his three billboards was kind of more just lifelike. Sure. 
sure. Very sure. believable almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we get here? I think it, it continues in that lifelikeness. Is it in Bruji where it's kind of yes. funny and I don't know. It's that's... also funny because of how Irish these people are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they'll just yeah, say something. It's kind of, I, I wouldn't call it dry humor, but it's uh, the jokes are not waiting for the audience to laugh as a punchline. It's rapid fire. It's it's going through, you know, in conversation, really. So. And I wouldn't be surprised if you watch this again, you're picking up on more things. Oh, for more sure. More kind of funny bits where it, it's... I would assume knowing his writing, mm-hmm. pay, you got to pay attention a little bit yeah. to really enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just in the same way, you, I, you know, I was paying attention the first 30 minutes and it's kind of like, all right, well, where is this going? And right. the longer we spend the time with the characters, it does pay off, luckily. I think, unfortunately, that that may be lack of understanding of where this is going maybe played into some box office performance i had to see this at 11 a.m showing <laughs> yeah, really. I, that's you my know. favorite showing you know. <laughs> i know it is <laughs> it's my favorite showing the I early was, bird i love the 11 a.m movie <laughs> like i said uh little to do on this island a really aimless chatting is kind of kind of the focus uh that is definitely a theme of the film itself as odd as that sounds so but when gleason's character uh, out of the two, we have, of course, Colin Farrell, uh, a a lost puppy dog of a man, and uh, <laughs> Brendan Gleeson, his former best friend. He Gleeson has enough of this endless chatting, uh, and he cuts off ties with Farrell completely. Where I want to maybe give, because right now, that I don't think that sells a movie. I think why this is a dark comedy is Gleason does take it to a very drastic extreme to um to cut off the friendship between him okay uh, and and Farrell's character Colin Farrell's character again is just this lost puppy dog of a man he has a donkey that is i think a <laughs> perfect like a miniature donkey as well that he invites inside his his his, his house and looks adorable, but is kind of a a perfect reflection of him as a character. <laughs> it's just like this innocent, <laughs> nice little little pet almost. And yeah, uh, the the film unpacks Gleason never wanting to be friends with him again. <laughs> and I mean, there's really not much more to it. That's that's it. I I struggled writing the review on this one because I I really enjoyed the film for a lot of different reasons. So but this is where this guy works so well. Yeah, because his writing is so good good and the acting's good yes i mean yes. we like these guys absolutely they're good at what they do it's very irish mm-hmm. <laughs> um extremely but like that's it j- just goes to show how good the director and he did write this correct uh, yes yeah, yes that's his, mm-hmm. that's his jam 100 percent. it's such a testament to him because mm-hmm. it's probably gonna have been such shit yeah it's you know? just it's just a small small story uh but that's also kind of the point of how small yeah. it is you know yeah absolutely it's not just writing a small story because he doesn't want to deal with actors or or writing you know he didn't could it, get funding it's it's very intentional for why it's so yeah small. and it's very bare bones mm-hmm. so if anything's failing it's done the movie oh, very is bad. True. you know what i mean there's no very fluff true. or there's no there's nothing to cover up anything. Yeah, yeah. It's all about your writing. It's all about the acting. Absolutely. All about the directing. Absolutely. And uh, you bring up a great point with that because it is. I mean, it's it's about kind of the interpersonal relationships. <laughs> I mean, kind of in the the story premise of best friends no longer being best friends or breaking up. It, it brings in the relationships on the sidelines that mm-hmm. observe this uh, and observe the impact, and that as well just gives you know. I mean, a, even a side performance, a support role if that wasn't on point that could kind of even crumble the whole thing for right, how low right. stakes realistically it is yes you know? yeah once again uh like the wonder uh very muted very sad uh <laughs> and very irish you know these i would say even more so than the wonder the cinematography of the landscapes of this rural rural irish uh, island I mean, it is gorgeous. It is, uh, I mean, breathtaking. And it kind of plays into these muted colors. Um, It's very heartwarming at times as uh, as well. So I think there was a good follow-through of cold outside uh, where conversations are happening inside. There's Mm -hmm. a follow-through to that's where we're feeling the heartwarming tones of it. Uh, which is, of course, you know, just really good design that uh, McDonough can coordinate, orchestrate, however you want to word that, because he's writing, directing. I mean, this is, you know, a as much of his baby as Three Billboards as or anything, anything else. else. Yeah. Literally anything else he does. Bingo. It's weird that his first films, and like, even if how low budget they are, mm-hmm. 
he always just has the cast. Yeah, he's it's got like, it. I, I, that's the biggest thing when I went back. I think it was when I was putting some of his films on the site. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. On the website where I was just like, where did he come from? Where does he get entrusted with money or these actors <laughs> right. say yes? You know what I mean? Right. Because right. everyone in Hollywood has a script, if not two, in their back pocket exactly. that they're pitching to everyone. Yeah, I mean, every sure. bartender, <laughs> every waiter... Has yeah. a script. Right. They're just ready. Uh, it's in the holster. So it's just like all props to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, props to him because, again, it's it's all in the execution. And I think that's really my main note for this one. I can't talk about it too much because not only did I like where it unfolded. Again, it's a, just a very small story. If yeah. Let's say this was a film I did not like. I'd maybe be all right kind of giving a little bit more away about it just because that would be part of the criticism maybe that it went nowhere. But this film does go somewhere and it rewards the time that you spend with characters. But yeah, it's uh, I, I would say what keeps you in the game is just seeing how far Gleason goes to break up break this out friendship. Break the friendship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Which in itself, I mean, it's been a while since it's in, uh, seen in Bruges. They kind of had a similar kind of butting heads as well it, in that, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah kind of. Because yeah. I think Gleason definitely hated Farrell's character in, 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 in Bruges. No, so. no, 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 no. No? No, it wasn't quite like that. Oh, okay. There was a separation, I'm forgetting a but bit. there was a forced separation between the yes, two. Yes, We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, small story, not bad by any means, but also getting a lot of praise. I think yeah, I strike a little bit of a balance between the big, big praise this film is getting. I thought this was uh, very good. Uh, for me... I wonder how many people this is going to hit for. for I, I should say, rather, for the ratings, not even just for me. How many is this going to hit for? Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, the areas that we've discussed already can kind of give you some some feel. You know, if you, if you like the, his prior work, if you like dialogue-driven, if you like the actors, you know, hopefully that can give you kind of some sense of direction a little bit with it. Uh, th- this director here, he continues to produce, uh, prove himself as a force in writing and directing unique experiences. And I can't say that the odd tone will be for everyone, but the story uh, really paid off. It pays off more and more the more uh, time you spend with the performances and the characters. I think credit goes to acting performances, but I think the special ingredients is in the writing itself. We're going to go ahead and give the Banshees of Inishirin a 74. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's lower than I thought. Really? What's, what, what's, what's lacking that's keeping it from the 80s? Is it just too small of a story? I think maybe, maybe. That surprises me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I reflected a lot on this film, but... Because it's one step, basically, because The Wonder got a, se- a 73. Yes. So that's how much Pew is... <laughs> right. Not is holding driving. it up. You like sure, the story. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? So... I, I think... I, I think for me, when it comes down to, for this one, why maybe it would stay out of the 80s? Because what, what is this getting online? This is getting, like, universal praise. Uh, kind of. You know, I will say the, the Rotten Tomatoes is pretty split. Well, it's getting, the, the, the critics gave it a 98. <laughs> <laughs> right, of right. course, of course. Mm, that's, that's um, and the audience gave it a 75. Okay. Which an audience 75 I, well, yeah, is, I'm usually is higher than audience. Well, yeah. audience scores, yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's weird. Metacritic is very good Metacritic score. Sure, like, sure. Very good Metacritic score. I, I mean, maybe so, on, uh, on some further reflection with this one, I could appreciate it more. I just think when I when I walked out, I was already happy with where the story went. I was already happy with the relationships and the performances. But there, there was a fundamental aspect that I wasn't saying, oh, you got to go see it this. It can movie. only go so far. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe that's good evidence that people will really love the dialogue even more than I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I just wasn't under t- getting every nugget of dialogue because of how Irish it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even the comedy of how fast-paced it moves, you know. So. I wonder if this gets better with age or more watches. I think so. But- Definitely appreciation for how much the dialogue is layered. For sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, seventy four for the band. I can't. I actually can't wait to watch this. That's great. I, think I might turn. I might um, get this on right away this week because <laughs> those go two to the together. Well, I love the, the early yeah. bird. <laughs> if it's still in theaters, well, I was no, pulling teeth to get this one done. It was never in a lot of theaters, and it's still in not many. But it's yeah. in some. It is. It's not. You know. It's not in fifty. It's in you know eight hundred or so. Yeah. I would be. I would say this much. I would be really happy if this did get some Oscar nominations because it's so well, unique. If, yeah, you know? it is getting that kind of praise. And if it does get Oscar noms, this might have some legs in sure. theaters too. Yeah, you know, kind of a re-release. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe it won't hit thousands in theaters, but it mm-hmm. might stick around for a little bit sure. for those eleven and you know, 
If you want to get up, if you want to get up with the, go have the Denny's Grand Slam breakfast at 5 a.m. <laughs> and head to the movies at 11. You'll see me there. <laughs> You'll see me. <laughs> Wasn't Denny's doing a tie-in not too long ago? Some film I, I mentioned Denny's was a tie-in. Was it really? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I don't remember that. It was some, some probably superhero, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, we're going to move on here. This next film is called She Said, directed by Maria Schrader. Mm-hmm. And this one I'm a little bit in the dark about here. So could you set it up for us? What do we have? And uh, did you enjoy it? Another theater watch. Yeah, this one, uh, last week we covered Spotlight, and that was kind of in prep to have me call heads or tails on a modern kind of investigative journalism. You know, the film these kind of investigative journalism films are no stranger to the term Oscar bait because they mm-hmm. have an important topic they're obviously covering yeah. a very serious tone uh, <laughs> like I noted with Spotlight you can hear it a mile away in that very pensive piano score uh, you know <laughs> self-important <laughs> piano score and boom you know that's all you need for the nod <laughs> I will say she said is a topic I was a little bit more interested in than Spotlight um, you know we focus on two reporters in the New York Times breaking the numerous sexual harassment cases against, uh, of course, the now infamous Harvey Weinstein. Uh, so having this be the Weinstein bio, not biopic, but the Weinstein, you know, kind of spotlight. Yeah. I, I think I was more attached to that as the end topic than in spotlight with, um, you know, more of the kind of the yucky, you know, yuckiness of that topic. Can I poke holes in this immediately? <laughs> potentially? <laughs> sure, sure. Go, go, go I crazy. Thought, I thought Rowan Farrow was the guy who really broke... Uh, a part of The New Yorker. Uh, it's actually referenced in the movie. Apparently that was something that was squashed or something like that. You you bring up a good point. Well, it's because I'm assuming this is... Okay, so this is about these two or three journalists. How many journalists? Uh, two, yes. So we have two journalists... And, and real journalists, of course. Right, yeah. right. But they're claiming that they were the first ones like, yeah, in to the, publish and actually bring the story out. In the plot, uh, the New Yorker column is released, but then they say it was either squashed by lawyers or kind of brushed under the rug. Uh, I agree, though. I was kind of scratching my head over the timeline and the presented yeah, you know, biography yeah. or biographical events. Because Ron Fair then came, like, there's a second wave of him, and then he mm-hmm. with the whole um, Matt Lauer and everything right, like that. Right, right. Right. Huh. So, I don't know. Uh, it could be portraying things. Uh, I'm not coming out too hot for this film, though, so I'm not going to say go okay. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying like, it's, it's worth weird. That's weird like, to me. serious scrutiny. I guess it's tough to, to pick it apart, but already I'm annoyed if... <laughs> If it's if it's I mean talk about Oscar bait, bit. it's just like okay, it's the, one, it's the New York Times, Bingo, and man. two, it's two head females. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, like, it, it, it's it's a little tough, uh, and almost identical to Spotlight. Uh, the focus of the topic is 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 heavy and compelling. Uh, you know that as an end goal for our reporters. You know. I think that is enough to get us engaged in the story structure. You know, we have our end destination, uh, which I like as 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 a writing um, or as as a tactic in making a, a script or in a plot that we pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. But in this comparison, she said does not have the same magic. And I think for me, it boils down. I mean, not to that they, the films can't be different, but believe me, they try to be the same. <laughs> uh, she said does not have that great electric team structure of spotlight. Uh, and I'll get into And I think it really falls on performances, unfortunately. Something good. Well, and you naturally don't have. Do you have yeah. that? I don't want to say the big. Do you really have that main core cast? Like, how much is the two girls, the two the two reporters, mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the four? You know, of a crack team of four. You right, know, right, exactly, with, with exactly. packed actors as well. I agree. It's it's uh, like it's already starting lower. Exactly. Yeah. I will say uh, I have plenty of notes on this. Carrie Mulligan, very good. Uh, Zoe Kazan. Uh, very bad. Very bad. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, well, I'll get into it just a sec. <laughs> One thing that is better uh, is that uh, it does not have the same issue as Spotlight in the sense that we are not getting constant repeat information. Despite both topics being horrible, um, the variety of interviews, professionals, victims uh, give a variety that keeps us guessing a little bit with the topic of Weinstein, where with Spotlight, it was really rinse, repeat, and Definitely understand that was the sto- that was the whole point of the kind of the story that you know these are almost uh, identical in, in in how they come about. Here it was just a little bit more engaging because it wasn't always the same. Uh, there were different circumstances. Okay, so 
Performances, though, pull this one down uh, seriously for me. Our two late leads, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Uh, Mulligan is decent here. I enjoyed her character most out of the two. She has a few different personal challenges within the plot that I felt added extra tension needed to their discovery of the Weinstein story. Also, Carrie Mulligan, I think, is uh, a much better actress uh, in comparison. She is... Um, really doing just in scenes with with Kazan just a much better job much more engaging uh, on screen hmm. um, so there's a problem not having much to work with then for Mulligan um not having much to work with as far as like going up against having a back and forth oh, like that ping pong that we yes, always talk about bingo she's absolutely. got nothing to work with absolutely so we can dropping the ball yeah, absolutely yeah. and obviously these two are real people so there's there's you know sure. a uh, approach to make it accurate and you're not trying to just ham it up you know it's uh, about telling a true story or the acting performance is true to life but i am sorry to say i felt Kazan was terrible in this, uh, and and wow. she's you know I mean she's a young actress, uh, you know she plays this 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 nerdy this nerdy woman that is very soft spoken. The point of the story is not for her to uh, overcome that soft spokenness. So believe me, I'm not saying that she needed a character arc or something. It's about the victims. It's about Weinstein, uh, but she is absolutely outright steamrolled in any scene <laughs> <laughs> to the point that you know even bit characters playing victims or professionals around Weinstein are even just again steamrolling her in the yeah. scene there is no ping pong there is no back and forth it's you know? a total drop ball yeah mm. uh, and you know certainly she shows empathy certainly I have no doubt that they're this uh, this very nerdy woman is true to life in some form uh, to uh, to the reporter uh, in the New York Times but um, you know where where there was praise uh, that I had for Mulligan in her little bit of, I don't know, a uh, little bit of character building that we get amidst discovering the topic and reporting on the topic. Kazan has just nothing. There is no back and forth dialogue scene, scenes, which are nearly all of them, because this is investigative base, you know. Right, right. Uh, detective base, if you will, if you're looking for more of an umbrella term to it. It's a chore to get through with her. <laughs> it's a downright <laughs> chore to get through. So, <laughs> And I hate to be so mean, because uh, she's not. She she hasn't been around the block too many times with with uh, uh, acting performances or other movies. Her filmography. I haven't seen her in anything else. But um, Probably. yeah, it was just it was just bad. It was just bad. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's no good then. Made it a snoozer. Made me dying to see Mulligan on screen again and again. Specifically when they are both on screen. Yeah. She, there's there's nothing given. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. I think <laughs> the only thing that I'll maybe track back here is, again, if this was a flawless uh, performance to the real-life person. I'll track it back a little bit. It still makes a boring movie, though. Yeah. So. Well, just like what we talked about with Ruffalo with Spotlight. Yep. If the guy talked like that oh, for the yes, movie, absolutely. don't talk like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So if the real reporter was a snoozer, don't be a snoozer in <laughs> You're the right. movie. We got a movie to make here, you know. Uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's just honestly my honest. That's that's my honest thoughts. On is that. this movie for anybody? I think it is for Oscars. I think it is for people that truly care uh, about Weinstein's crimes. I mean, he's obviously in jail until probably he's going to die. So right for know. sure. I, as long as you're getting an ac like it would be nice. So it's based on a book apparently that came okay. out as well. Okay. So everything happens very quick. You know that happened. Book comes yep. out, then yep. this comes out. I just think it's important to get everything. Right again. I don't know. I'm just it, so much was happening during that time, mm. and there was so much story about sure, it. Sure, sure. It's weird. I just feel like there's other people involved also that were like doing a lot of work on this. Yeah, that's yeah. all. I, I think you bring up a phenomenal point because uh, it's not something I really had notes on, but um, you know, I, I, there was a moment where I said, "All right, do I really want to go through the mental exercise of tracking every factoid back oh, and the timeline of it?" You know what I mean? Right. So. Maybe there's a suspension of disbelief that it's just it's a movie they can portray and it's based it based on the book. Yes, and I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I will say to your one point though, it, it, a lot of things are noted within dialogue of this film, uh, and, okay. and clearly are other events happening outside the realm of New York Times. 
Yeah, because there's a lot more going on than these yeah. than these reporters. Like, yeah. there's, uh, I don't understand. I mean, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, it doesn't help that the cinematography and <laughs> and the directing is <laughs> is presented. You know, hey, the New York Times says it's a quiet thriller that speaks volumes. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Know. <laughs> they shouldn't even. I can't believe they even had a reporter. Can you believe the New York Times? The New York Times. They should be allowed to review. They this. shouldn't be able to even write <laughs> That's an article a contrary about of interest. it. It is, that's so true. <laughs> like I was saying, the, the the cinematography, the directing, it does not help that it is almost portrayed like a documentary. It makes this film very visually boring, and it's a shame because I actually enjoy the cinematographer here, uh, Natasha Breyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does a a fair amount of work I enjoy, specifically Neon Demon, which is boring cinematography is the exact opposite of how I describe Neon Demon. Yeah, so. she does the gringo, which looked pretty cool and kind of vibrant. Yeah, and a little um. You hit the nail on the head, vibrant. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I, I love personally. I love sat. I like saturated. I like sure. oversaturated things. Mm-hmm. Like even going back, like that's why I've always loved Samsung phones. <laughs> <laughs> going back, but that's I, that's what what I kind of get. She also did Honey Boy too. So yeah, she's yeah. definitely well known. It's a, yeah. yeah. Who knows? We'll maybe review that for our boy Sean. <laughs> oh, for producer Sean. Yeah, for producer Sean. Yeah. But boy, so, that's the only thing you have good coming out of this then. Yeah, it's, it, you know, listen, don't get me, well, actually, one one last note. <laughs> <laughs> one last note. A real pet peeve I have with this is obviously Weinstein is, you know, in the story operating. He's not, he's not in prison, you know what I mean? We get a Weinstein impersonator that does a pretty good job. We don't see his face, though. There is a well, I should say the multiple scenes we get with Weinstein in conflict, trying to push back on this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would describe those within the script, within the plot, as the most interesting. We have finally the accusers, or you know, the ones that are going after him, yeah, confronting the the the, the villain. You know, if you want to see it as the villain of the story, the villain in real life. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, those scenes are what this type of story builds up to in, you know, the pacing of a, of a plot like this mm-hmm. to actually get that confrontation. There is a scene that Weinstein is brought into the New York Times office and it is presented as a entirely muted scene uh, that we don't even get to see the impersonator. We don't get to see what they're saying. And it did such a poor job. Even with the scope of this film, let's say we can call it even a hit piece for yeah. Weinstein, rightfully so, but you sure, know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's designed to trash him. Uh, it was so frustrating from a story perspective not to see that climactic moment actually play out. That's what out. you would want. You want, yeah, you want that, he's the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. You want some adversity with the bad guy. Exactly. If anything, make him more villainous. Show that. And and I, I just was scratching my head. I said, wow, I mean, to, to have... The single most electric point in your plot, yeah. uh, be muted, uh, and again, you know, I mean, and it's like it's dancing around sensitivities, probably, yeah, or probably, something like that. But probably. at the same time, you're making a movie here, exactly. If anything, make him look like more of an asshole. You know, really trash him in that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so. It's so true. Yeah, because um, you could do anything with his own language and speech. Then too, yeah, you could make yeah. him into the the most evil person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was really confronted with just. An approach for realism, sure. That get, that credit is deserved there. There's also a a fundamental aspect that you have to make a movie. You have to make an electric. Well, yeah, script. you want to see the asshole. Yeah, which he like he naturally is. Like yeah. he's naturally just the biggest <laughs> douche ever. Even how he talks within the film, like. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was disappointing. So listen, don't get me wrong. I feel the story and the scope of Weinstein's crimes, it's worthy of a film. Uh, I think this was handled tastefully and really never dipped into exploring, exploiting victims in any way. And, uh, in that the film is effective at championing, championing the victims. Uh, it is not, uh, at all about championing uh, Weinstein or different perspective. It is about the victims and 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 being a a good representation without exploiting their 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 obviously their horrible trauma here. Right, right. Uh, however, I thought this film was uh, painfully plain. Uh, did very little to tell this story creatively, uh, and it almost tips the needle on a soft recommend. Mostly on Carrie Mulligan's performance, but the film lacks such punch that. 
Uh, honestly, for a topic that needed to have punch, and I feel like that's a particular mm. failure of the film. We're going to go ahead and give She Said a 49. Ooh, 49. Yeah. Wait, wait very for Oscar strategic, Cito. Very strategic rating there, Vin. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> wait till Oscar season to have this sweep through every award. <laughs> um, was this better or worse? I think you, I don't know if you rated it or not. What? You might have. Bombshell, the Roger Ailes oh, thing. Oh, I didn't even think about Bombshell. I think this was worse than Bombshell. Yeah, yeah, because Bombshell, they uh, there's uh, a lot of Roger Ailes. Yeah, and, by, and they um, were happy to make you know these executives look like assholes, right? You right? Know? Yeah, yeah, or scumbags. So, and the, this was just lacking that. Sure. Know? Okay. So she said, "Yeah, well, he said it was a 49." So, <laughs> wow, it, on the fly. However. <laughs> Uh, it sh- we should know the New York Times liked the movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Biased. Um, okay, Vin. All right. So we're going to go ahead to our last one here. Uh, this film is called The Menu. It's directed by Mark uh, Mark Malad, and it's got a really big cast here, starting with Ralph Fiennes, Anna Taylor-Joy, mm-hmm. Nicholas Hult. What do we get here, and how was your experience? So let me just say, this film I was not looking forward to. This film is not what you expect it to be and i loved it uh, Why were, can we okay let's start from the top yeah sure why weren't you looking forward to it you have comedy horror thriller it kind of seems up your alley it's sure and ralph fines <laughs> right right love ralph fines uh, uh for me it looked like blumhouse trash it looked like <laughs> <laughs> it looked like you know just cookie cutter horror you know and, and i'll go into a little bit of the pitch here uh but uh but yeah that that's why i wasn't looking forward to it uh, uh, very fair okay. yeah but not at all what i expected and i loved it so that's that's where i want to cool, quickly cool. quickly move away from my expectations because they are nowhere near to the film uh mark Millard directs here uh and a acclaimed big TV guy. yeah big, big TV, guy. tv guy um you know while this is a big thriller and it may catch people's eyes because of marketing i think a lot of viewers might feel at home with the presentation here uh his work is succession game of thrones shameless entourage Basically on the HBO take, and like a, like he did like thirteen episodes of Succession. Like yeah. he's not like a like that, right? He did an episode, sure. Or um, my go to is always Scorsese with Boardwalk Empire. Like oh, he nice. did one yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? very good. Yeah, he yeah. uh, did Shameless too. I don't know if you said yep, that. Yeah, yeah, Shameless. I, I would say you know there's a. Th- there's a thread between those examples or, or his work is very a polished and slick look and uh, very similarly here uh, he has a very polished look to the film uh, and it's on display in his directing so again did uh, it feel like you were watching a, a TV show uh in ways, actually, uh, but okay. in good ways. Oh, cool! Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, again, surprising. May I even even in those being maybe some pre notes for me in researching the film. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I thought it you know that would maybe be a negative for me because I don't like TV directing too much, and you know I haven't yeah. seen a huge amount of these shows and whatnot. Despite you know a lot of acclaim. Yeah, you got enough going on in your plate. <laughs> you need that shows to yeah. it. Yeah, people. I don't know. Uh, my go to is always you know Game of Thrones is the lesson of why I don't stick with serial. TV because you never know when it's gonna you know it's not gonna pay off so uh, but yeah the menu uh, stars a lot of big faces uh, as you noted already Tom um, most notably Ralph Fiennes and Anya Taylor Joy mm-hmm. by the trailer alone the elevator pitch here is Michelin star high end restaurant turned into a horror thriller and with that alone folks at home Tom. You're probably guessing on how that story will go, uh, what twists it will have, what t- characters play a role in moving the story along. So I was expected to really roll my eyes at this film. Uh, <laughs> I was not excited for this one. Uh, but let me tell you, I was dead wrong this film. This film was wow. so refreshing so unexpected and a joy to watch. This was a great movie. It was it was really just like a solid movie. You know, to go to the theater, to experience oh, it with good. an audience. It was fun. Okay, good. Uh good on its own. Like, yeah, solid, solid movie. Very cool. Uh, and and totally out of left field. <laughs> so how does it balance the comedy and horror 
slash like thriller because we always talk about the balance of it is mm. difficult to do and yet so often done so often the writers here you're not dealing with horror writers you're dealing with these two guys came from the onion oh really yeah wow wow seth rice and will tracy yeah kind of like onion guys yeah which up. is which is comedy in itself so uh i i think yeah i i'm i'm excited to to say that this was this was probably comedy was the was the strongest element of this film. Okay, so uh, did horror take a back seat? Not really. I, I maybe or not. It was horror, just a nice dance. More more thriller. Okay, more thriller. Right, gotcha. And uh, yeah, the comedy I would say was a huge highlight for me. Just knowing how to build a gag uh, throughout the film. Mm, actually. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow, was this a surprise, though. Uh, against all odds, a unique experience and, and, and just a blast to watch in theaters. You know, when I saw this movie, I expected nothing more than, you know, what mass-produced horror looks like nowadays. Yeah, and tr- trivial. Exactly. You know, think about how predictable that premise could play out. Oh, what character is going to escape? Oh, how, what, what, what tools are going to be? You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. That yeah. elevator pitch does not sound original, but it is all in the execution. And, and this film had it, so... It's it's not what you expect, and it is super refreshing. So, forgive me if I maybe lack on summary. I was a little literally bit. just gonna say <laughs> you've got to dance around this, don't you? Yeah, a little <laughs> Which bit. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, the elevator pitch is again restaurant thriller, kind of okay. <laughs> high I'm, end I'm, restaurant thriller. I'm in, yeah, especially yeah. with Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, absolutely. I would say uh, add this to the list of great movies about food: uh, Big Night and Pig. Uh, being on that Ooh, list, yeah, yeah. So it's good, good uh, food movie. <laughs> I don't know that that could be a special maybe. Uh, uh, I'm telling you right now, that's going to be a special. Yeah, good food movie. <laughs> By the way, side note, um, I hear there's going to be like a pig two. There's going to be a sequel. Oh, to pig. really? Just saying. Wow, wow. But, yeah. With um, of course. Why am I? Of course. Okay. Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I forgot Nick Cage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, my note here also a genuinely funny film. You know. Uh, I think a lot comes from the many personalities of the diners and the guests at the restaurant. <laughs> there are two critics that are like high end critics that I <laughs> I was busting up at <laughs> just like up their own ass. They were, you know. Yeah. Also maybe like also maybe clock back some of my own notes <laughs> a little bit <laughs> if I get too wordy. So it was a nice reminder. And also um just just like solid solid wow. Um character writing uh that uh, it's not it's not the the biggest thing in the world but being able to keep the plot fresh of going around to each table while they're eating the courses mm-hmm. and getting just like a little bit of insight into each of them. It doesn't have to be a big exposition. We get little nuggets as the night goes on of each of them. And now that's we're good. familiar with everyone. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was a yeah. good way to parcel it up, you know? Yeah, that's so. a cool way to do character development. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, running gag, uh, running gags, but a, a one specific running gag. I mean, this was was excellent. It, you could feel the audience laughing more and more, but also towards the end as it came back again and again, you felt almost the anticipation of when it was coming on screen. Huh. And it was just amazing. It was really solid. So, uh, When did you see this? Like, how was... It sounds like at least some people were in the theater then with you. Yeah, this was opening night Friday and uh, uh, absolutely packed. Not a single, uh, not a single seat missing. Really? Yeah, this was, and that's because this is not some big blockbuster. <laughs> that's where I, I made the note about some of the marketing budget hmm. because I feel like makes this me... is being pushed out. I could be wrong though. I, I, I don't. It makes me very happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's second in theaters. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So when you were sitting there, you're walking in there and you're just like, all right, I'm gonna sit down and watch this movie. How long? It's an hour and forty seven minutes. <laughs> How right. long in were you just like, oh, I'm enjoying this? Um, I would say almost right away. Oh, almost. That's and maybe not like, you know, from the word go. Because, again, I, I kind of had to be knocked on my on my ass a little bit yeah, with my good, own assumptions good. about it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would say I would say pretty much the whole ride. Also, I, I did a double feature. At, uh, I did She Said First and then this. And, boy, was this a fr- breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of an actually entertaining movie, you know, but I, I won't, I won't, I won't shit on CC sets much more. But yeah, uh, I it, and, and one of the areas where I think this TV experience with Malad is coming into play is that throughout the movie. This is obviously about a tasting menu. You know, it's a it's a high end restaurant. We get these mock shots of like. A chef's table on Netflix where we have these ultra high fidelity shots coming in on the on the on the the meals yeah. or on the courses. Yeah. 
And the way that this film is able to effectively and almost 100% precisely mock these shots is is hats off because it's something in a moment that I think a lot of viewers will be familiar with, even if they've never dined at one of these, you know, super high end places. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and as well, they're like seriously gorgeous within the film. <laughs> so, uh, I was really adoring these, again, these kind of chef table esque, uh, you know, high fidelity shots. Uh, if, if, if that makes sense. Are you familiar with chef table, uh, Tom? Uh, enough to know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's basically just, you know, the, the course plated up, and, you know, slow yeah, yeah, yeah. zoom, high fidelity camera coming yeah. into it, you know, and list of ingredients, you know, and, and having that as a through line in the film was really good. It was, it was awesome because cool. that, that's what I think is going to make this a, a good food movie, if you will, you know, a, a, the, the very small subgenre of good food movie <laughs> uh, that there was appreciation to the, to the food as well. So Very cool. Also, last note, last praise, uh, soundtrack by Colin Stetson, uh, one of really one of the most creative voices in modern experimental jazz uh, adds quite a bit to the high-end feel uh, of this film. Wow. Uh, we, we've seen Colin Stetson do a lot of different soundtracks as of late. I'm just excited to see him do it uh, because he's he's a very, very unique musician. Um, so Was it... He did Outlaw and Angels, and then he also did stuff for Red De- Red Dead Redemption yes, Two. Yes, yes. Yeah. Is it West? Do we get Western? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Western, and he's a he's primarily like a saxophonist. Uh, but he he has a he he. I don't know. It, I, Ooh, I would love to, too much to go into. That's but, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But we know how music can it can add or subtract from a yeah, film. Yeah. So that's cool. And here he was able to bring kind of a unique, twisted, high class uh, feel to it. So cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and one of those things that I kind of I, I felt appreciation for the soundtrack recently. Been listening to soundtracks as I kind of refined some notes, and that's usually where some dots are connected. Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah. born from bodies, 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 uh, and me not catching that it was disaster. Oh, right. so, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now I've learned, and now it's changed. So uh, I've said enough. Go watch this film in the theaters. Uh, have a blast, and be pleasantly surprised on where it goes, and especially where it doesn't. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give the menu a seventy-eight. Wow, that's a great score. Uh, can't wait. And folks, you really can. It's it's a wide release. It just yeah. came out. This yep. has not been out for a bit or anything. Like, because some of these other ones we did have been out for a few weeks at <laughs> yeah, least. Yeah, we try to get to them as but this fast is as possible. Uh, this is fresh, fresh. Yeah, and a seventy-eight. Yeah, go see it in theaters. That was that's cool that you had a good theater experience with this. Yeah, yeah, and so crowded and and good too. You know what I mean? Crowded theater doesn't always equal good. You know, <laughs> oh, well, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that's what a nice little. Nice little topping you had here. I know. And I'm happy about it, too. I didn't want to end with a bad topic. Yeah. (laughs) And going in there and getting surprised about something, is uh, that's pretty cool and exciting. absolutely. Wow, great, Vin. Um, So looking at these scores here, anything you want to add, touch on, or are we going to roll credits here? No, I think we're good to go. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you for watching. We appreciate you stopping by. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time here. We have Wendell and Wild with a 63%. The Wander with a 73, The Banshees of Inishirin with a 74, She Said with a 49, and The Menu with a 78%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, would you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. And if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors, so we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.